Hello and welcome to the Women in Safety podcast, a place of conversations to empower and inspire you to transform your career. I'm your host, Alana Ball, and we're here today to cut through some of the BS of health and safety. I want to be real, authentic, and most of all, think critically about what we learn, what we hear, and how we experience things in our journey. I want you to take this time for yourself. Reconnect with your passion, reconnect with your career, and join us as we grow together. So settle in and see where this episode transforms you. Welcome to another Women in Safety podcast. I love being able to share conversations with people because when we hear conversations, when we hear people's journey, it inspires us to think about and reflect on our own journey. So today I'm joined by the wonderful Andrea Painter, who's here to tell us about her own journey into health and safety, uh, which has been broad, it's been dynamic, it's been diverse to say the <laughs> least. Uh, thanks for joining us, Andrea. Thanks, Alana. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, <laughs> so, as I said, it's been quite a yep. diverse and dynamic journey for you. Tell us where health and safety starts in Andrea's world. Well, I think um, my journey into workplace health and safety um, it was never planned. It's, uh, it's something that evolved. Um, I actually left school and started working in uh, laboratories. I was a lab technician working in the dairy industry in New Zealand. Um, I studied food technology um, and I did that for quite a number of years and uh, actually travelled overseas and, and um, worked in the UK and in laboratories over there. When I returned to New Zealand after travelling, um, working in, uh, as a lab tech, um, I found it was is a little bit boring, actually, <laughs> after what I have been doing. Um, friends of mine had joined the, the police, so um, I thought, oh, that looks pretty interesting. No two days of the same. Cows, police. <laughs> That's a big leap. <laughs> so, so I um, applied and I joined the New Zealand police as a general duties um, constable. Um, that was definitely an experience. Um, I have a lot of respect for for the police and the police ah. service. Um, it's it taught me a lot. It taught mm. me how to adapt my communication style to different people of um, different backgrounds. Um, how to assess situations very quickly um, because of the situations we're going into. I was in a small regional um, station. There was uh, 27 uh, police constables there, and I was the only female. Um, so great. I didn't mind working with the guys at all, but it meant um, that my perspective was a little bit different uh, in some situations, especially where children were involved or mm. there was domestic violence. Um, a lot of the work also was around youth crime and gang-related. Um, so... I got um, to experience all sorts of situations um, and after a number of years I decided that um, I was going to leave for personal reasons and I actually studied law at University of Waikato. Um, I wasn't quite sure where that was going to take me. As it turned out, um, once I graduated and been admitted in New Zealand, I came over to Queensland and I started practicing um, with a firm um, in Noosa um, 
in personal injury law. Mm. We were acting on behalf of claimants or plaintiffs. Uh, we took on claims after the injured party had been through the statutory claims process. And once they get to the point where they're deemed to be as good as they're going to get, um, <clears throat> then they can actually proceed with a common law claim, which mm. is when they need to engage a lawyer. So the people that were coming to us usually had sustained pretty serious uh, and significant injuries. Um, and we would actually conduct an interview with them to determine whether or not we were going to take them on as a client. Um, you hear all sorts of things about ambulance chasing lawyers and that sort of thing. Uh, we didn't take everyone on. Um, mm. It was it was just the ones that we believe were genuine and uh, genuine um, cases. Mm. Uh, doing that work, um, I uh, I did that work for about two, oh, two or three years, mm. and in that time, I had about two hundred case files at any one time. Ooh. So that's about 200 people because these claims don't settle very quickly. It takes mm. a, a fair bit of time um, in these matters, sorry. And um, it's, it was actually very draining emotionally, mm. I found. Um, you're dealing with people who have been severely injured, probably been through... Um, a lot of medical treatment, operations, that sort of thing. Mm. They've been uh, financially challenged. It's put a lot of pressure on their family relationships. They, Some of them had lost the family home because they couldn't pay their mortgage. Mm. Um, some of their uh, relationship had broken up and they've separated and so on. So um, they were not only suffering from a physical injury but also a psychological injury mm. as well. Mm. So there's two parts to the claims uh, quite often. Um, and I suppose when we talk about you know health, workplace health and safety, we talk about the ripple effect after an incident has happened and, and how um, that incident impacts on people, not only the injured person but their, their family and the community you know, and the workmates. What I was seeing was the extent of, of that ripple effect. Mm. He was a person who had um, you know, gone to work that day and um, you know, said goodbye to the family, off they go, mm. severely injured. Um, and then not only you know, are they in hospital, but they, they can't associate with their work colleagues, that all drops off. Mm. Um, they can't play the, the weekend sport and, and so on. So some of the, the um, matters were usually, you know, two to three years down the track after mm. that incident when, when we were dealing with them. Um, and the sorts of things we were dealing with were, you know, broken backs. Um, mm, mm. Um, the one example was um, severe um, electrocution mm. where uh, a person had, he was a excavator operator and he had delivered his excavator to a work site. It was during the weekend. The site manager was there, had led him in the gate, said, oh, that, you know, you're working over there. So he um, <clears throat> unloaded the excavator off his truck and was driving it along, toodling along. Um, the site manager was um, in the office, wasn't looking out, um, and the boom of the excavator um, hit some power lines. Mm. Um, 
end result, it was he was electrocuted, mm. um, and so it took a bit of work to get him out of there because everything was live. Um, mm. The when I met him, um, he'd gone through a lot of surgery um, mm. uh, because of his, the damage done to his internal organs. Mm. So it was things like that where, from a health and safety perspective, it was you know they didn't have a spotter. He wasn't none of the hazards on the site were were shown mm. to him, pointed out. So that's just one example of um, the sorts of mm. cases that I was dealing with. So to have you know two hundred of those at any time was um, yeah, that's a lot. Was was a lot. Um, mm. um, I. What happened was that the firm actually merged with another one and there were some changes going on. I decided to have a break from that sort of work. Mm. Um, it wasn't intention to actually leave law at all. It's just I knew I needed a bit of a, a break from that. So I had some time out and I um, decided to do some factual investigations. So mm. I used my police skills and became uh, qualified as a factual investigator. And I um, took on work for major insurance companies, uh, especially Work Cover Queensland. So for quite a while, I was a um, their factual investigator on the Sunshine Coast. Oh. And if there'd been an accident, then I would actually go and investigate it on their behalf. So uh, that was quite interesting work. I got to see a lot of uh, different businesses and um, investigate, um, mm. unfortunately, a lot of accidents and, and injuries. Mm. It was while I was doing that work, I was approached by a um, company to, and they asked if I would do some health and safety consulting with my background and the mm. experience I had. They said, well, why aren't you doing this? Um, and so I actually qualified as a HUZO um, yeah. back then. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where I started doing some consulting work for, for different companies on the side as well as doing the factual investigation. Yeah. Um, life happened. Um, my, my son came along and um, I suddenly found myself as a sole parent, uh, which was um, very challenging. Um, I actually returned to New Zealand for a short time um, and I studied um, a graduate diploma in occupational health and safety then while, while my son was very young. Um, I came back over to Queensland and worked with a, a large uh, company here, it's actually an international company, um, in warehousing and logistics uh, and I worked with them. They were really supportive. They were had a strong safety culture and it was mm. really good. From then I, um, I moved on to different um, health and safety roles. The health and safety roles I actually took on were usually conducive to childcare hours, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily beneficial for my career, if that makes sense. It was... Oh, um, I, <laughs> I, as a working mother who... <laughs> Made decisions based on that. I completely get it, and just know how detrimental that can be. Also, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, um, there I ended up um, working in both private and um, public um, mm. sectors for for different organisations. Um, I was um, my last role. I was um, in a national workplace health and safety manager. Um, position and uh, and I had a team um, with a um, 
organisation and the, the public sector. Mm. Um, I left there at the end, towards the end of COVID, and um, decided... Don't say to the end back. of COVID. I literally was reading the news this morning and they're talking about this new variant that is <laughs> Omicron and it's got this new variant, like, yep. Yeah, so okay. let's, not say, let's not say the end of COVID, but nice, nice wishes out to the world that it's end of COVID, okay. Andrea. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, the, that period. The main I, part. Yeah. The main part. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I decided to set up my own consulting firm again and go back consulting. It was something that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the variety and the diversity of, um, of working with different clients and in different um, sectors and, and industries. Mm. So I started organisational risk consulting um, and, and that's um, been going, going well since. So it's uh, second year of trading now and um, it's so cool. That's going good. Yeah, so amazing. And uh, it's been really awesome. You joined the Women in Safety membership and we've managed to have quite a few conversations and to see it growing from strength to strength and you being able to use what I've loved to watch in your journey, Andrea, is, you know, watching you bring to life some of those skills that you've kind of adapted, whether it was from the police or from, you know, your factual investigation. It's been really cool to watch how you flow that into supporting organisations now to do more or to do better and improvements in health and safety. I think it's really, I've really loved watching that journey. So um, keep that up. Thank I'm you. excited to see where that goes. <laughs> Thank you. So what have, what have been some of those really big challenges? And you can talk directly, you know, from the consulting or across the breadth of your career. What have been some of the, I guess, challenges that you've faced along the way? Um, th there have been a few challenges um, and it's um, quite a quite a period of time to consider. Um, I think one of the, the challenges I had was the expectation that um, as a workplace health and safety manager, this is the expectation by, by managers in an organisation that the health and safety manager was responsible for keeping everyone safe in the organisation. Initially, uh, I, I those, I was misguided. I thought that senior managers would be as passionate about health and safety as I was and <laughs> would understand and be aware of their due, due diligence obligations. Mm. Um, that's not always the case. Um, mm. And what the way that I've found uh, to overcome that, um, that works best for me, is to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with those senior managers, sort of just, you know, you know, have you got five minutes for a quick mm. chat and, and start to bring them along on a journey um, of, of educating them, I suppose, um, about... One thing, one thing, because um, I agree, I think one thing that I've learned certainly in my own journey is, and I don't think we learn it enough in any kind of formal education in health and safety is uh, business acumen because mm. I've said it a hundred times I feel, but you know, businesses don't get into business because they want to do health and safety well. They get into business because they're really good at their craft. So whatever that looks like at that senior leadership level, they've been brought on specifically because they're good at that craft, whether that's a CFO doing the finance, whether that's a 
you know, chief risk, chief marketing, chief executive, like they're all chief ops, you know, they are all chiefs because they are really good at their craft. And I think the sooner health and safety professionals learn business acumen and how do we tap into that business acumen to go, this is what's important to them. How do I fold that into those conversations? I think we have more success because I agree. I think when the naivety of health and safety is is that brain of they will be on the same journey as us and they'll be so excited, but they're really not. So, yeah, I, I think there's a gap in that, you know, business acumen. How do we get the buy-in of that senior leadership? Yeah, that's just my my musings for this wonderful day. <laughs> I absolutely agree because, I mean, it's the senior manager's attitude towards health and safety that has such an influence mm. on the safety culture of an organisation. So if, if they aren't engaged, mm. um, they're not going to you know, be as supportive of safety improvements and improving that culture um, across the, the organisation. So it's... Mm. Um, I think that's been one of the one of my learnings from from my mm. journey. Yeah. Um, other challenges I think have been around uh, well gender related challenges, and I'm hoping that it's got better these days. Um, you know, in the past there were issues around you know lack of uh, toilet facilities yeah. on sites. Um, being the token female on the mum, uh, you know, or mum of the team, um, and being called mum by mm. people, um, which hopefully it doesn't happen so much these days. Um, also, challenges around, uh, well, for any parent, you know, if the mm. parental challenges, you know, childcare hours and, and that sort of thing, and having understanding from senior managers that, you know, um, I did have to leave at a certain time because I had a chip to pick my son up. Um, mm. I couldn't stay on for an extra two hours to do another toolbox session. Mm. Um, so yeah, those are some of the challenges I think that I've, I've faced in, in workplace health and safety. Oh, my God. Andrea, I could have an entire conversation. I get very, <laughs> I get very ranty about how we support mums in the workplace um, and – Childcare and school, that's a whole. I, yeah. need to, I, I need to not because I get very, very red and very, very passionate about that topic because uh, I just think it's ridiculous. Um, so what have been, you know, very much, um, you know, I think valid challenges and I think ones that are shared certainly across the women in safety community. What have been some of the highlights though? You've had such a wonderful career to see some some great successes along the way as well, no doubt. What are some of those highlights for you? Um, well, probably relating back to those challenges, especially ones around uh, leadership um, team members, um, some of the wins have been when there's been someone who's quite opposed to some of the health and safety initiatives um, or strategies that are wanting to bring in and then working with them and then having them it's like have a, a light bulb moment mm. and suddenly they become this fantastic advocate for what I'm what the you know organization yeah. is trying to do for the initiative and getting their team really engaged in it um, I've had a, a number of wins that way which is um, really satisfying it's it's great um, I think it makes those hard days worth it hey you know sometimes it does. you yeah. just 
bat your head against the wall and you're just like, why? Why am I doing this? No one's listening. And then it's that one aha moment that you're like, yes. Yeah. And I know, you know, my mum has always been a teacher and she talks about the same aha moment with students that, you know, you, you're going to get some students who get it and they're on board and they've got the particular whatever the learning is. And then when you see that one kid that's either been struggling or put the brick wall up around this, I can't do it or I won't do it. And they just go, yeah, yeah I get it. So, um, yeah, aha moments are just brilliant in, in any circumstance. But I think in health and safety, we've got to take that win and run with it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Make the most of those. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, there have been a number of those. So mm, Yeah, great. And so second year of trading for the consulting side of things, what's the next 12 months? What are some of the big goals that you'd like to achieve? Um. Well, at the moment, I'm working on some business development. Um, I'm hoping to expand the business, well, intending to expand the, the business. So um, that's quite an exciting move, but there'll be more about that later. Um, but I do have a, a, a personal um, new thing that I would like to share. Yeah. Um, and that is um, I have just been accepted to study Masters um, through Massey University um, in New Zealand. It's something I put off 16 years ago, 16, 17 years ago, um, and I've uh, just got got the response on Friday to say wow, that uh, uh, would uh, yeah love to offer me a place. So that's Andrew, an exciting adventure. Where do we fit this in? I know <laughs> that you've got a very very full plate as it is. And are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> well, luckily I can study it part time, and yeah. uh, and that's what I'll definitely be doing. Yeah. Um, but it's something that personally I wanted to do mm. years ago. Yeah. But circumstances meant that I couldn't. Mm. Um, my son is uh, now a lot older these days, and so very independent. Um, and so it was like, okay, we're doing it. Time to do something for myself. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about it is it, I'll be able to weave those skills into um, the consulting business as well. So. Oh, definitely. No, that will be very exciting. And I know the Women in Safety community will be um, no doubt cheering you on and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, use, use not abuse, but use us where you need to test theories or to say, hey, has anyone found? Because I'm, I love our resource page. So I'm super excited to where that leads for you. Well done, Andrea. I think it'll be great. Um, and obviously, please put your head up if, if it starts drowning you because we're all here to support you as well. But well done. I think that's such a marvellous achievement. <laughs> Even be like, nope, this is it. I'm going to take that time for myself. I think that's wonderful. So uh, is there any advice you would give to the next generation? Someone starting in health and safety or looking to start in health and safety, what would one piece of advice be, do you think? Be, um, if you're not sure of something, reach out to someone in the health and safety community um, and I think that is where women in safety um, are fantastic. I love the community feeling and of the group and the fact that we um, do support each other. Um, there are of course other groups as well who are just as supportive. Um, so my advice to someone starting in workplace health and safety is if you're not sure, there's plenty of resources 
um, available online anyway. But if you want someone to talk to, reach out to someone in the community and um, and have a chat. Um, also get involved in as many um, webinars and, and training sessions as, as you can. There's some fantastic advice there. So mm, yeah, that would I, be my advice. I could not agree more. I think... You know, by all means, yes, women in safety. I obviously advocate for that, but I think find your tribe, find your people, find the people you can connect with, learn from, grow with. Um, it won't always be women in safety. You know, it might not be the community for you, but find the one that is because, you know, I think it's so powerful when we have our community to lean on. So great, great piece of advice, Andrea. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you a million times for joining us today. I know you have a busy schedule, so I appreciate taking the time to share your journey. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know I'm going to say another inspiring journey that has not been what I would call a traditional finished school, went to uni, picked health and safety, and bam, we're in. No one is sharing that journey to date. So it's really interesting to hear such a diverse background uh, that you've had and the, the experiences you've had along the way. So thank you for sharing it, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Wow, what an episode. If you loved today's episode just as much as I did, we'd love to hear your feedback or even better, share it with your friends, your colleagues and other safety sisters or safety misters, so they too feel empowered and inspired. We will catch you for another conversation next time, and we hope in the meantime, you start implementing some things to transform your career.